another thing that hopefully the pandemic has given us is an increased capacity for patience. No matter how much we kick and scream at this, we've all needed to have more patience than we did before. And so when we go back to a time, if we get to a place where it's more the way it used to be, hopefully we'll have more patience. And that patience is long-suffering, one of the fruits of the Spirit. And that enables us to love our neighbors better. It enables us to trust God more. And it enables us to be kinder with ourselves when we don't get it right the first time. That was Dr. Jeff Bjork, and this is the Things About Podcast. My guest today is my good friend and colleague, Dr. Jeff Bjork. Jeff's a licensed psychologist who recently retired from Fuller Seminary after 30 years, where he was also a professor who taught future psychologists. As an academic, he's published numerous research articles focused on how faith can serve both as a coping strategy and as a support resource. As a clinician, he's focused on helping people improve and maintain their self-care. And self-care is certainly a timely topic for us as we find ourselves living uh, with the stress of this pandemic. So I thought, I can't think of anybody better to bring on to talk about that than my friend, Jeff Bjork. So Jeff, welcome. It's great to have you. Thanks, Jim. I'm really glad and honored to be with you, and I'm always grateful for opportunities to discuss self-care. Well, it's a big thing, isn't it? Um, and I, I'm really glad to have this conversation, especially because in my experience as a teacher, as a pastor, uh, I've just seen so many people who have been reporting that they um, haven't been making self-care uh, uh, during this pandemic a priority. I mean, what do you think it is about the pandemic that's caused many people to neglect good self-care? Well, you know, Jim, I, I think I honestly, I would want to take a step back um, and ask a bigger question, um, if that's OK. And that is, sure. why aren't Christians good at self-care, period? Um, I think I think that when people are saying, oh, I've really been neglecting my self-care, a part of that is we we tend to rewrite our memories, we tend to rewrite our pasts, and and uh, the rewritten versions are always better. So someone might come in my office and say, "I've just started having panic attacks," and of course I would never talk about an actual client um, for confidentiality reasons. But in general, someone might say that, and then they might say, "I want to get back to where I was before in my life, where I was anxiety free." And in in fact, the more you talk to them, the more you realize, well, actually they weren't. They're making an unfair comparison. And I think mm. for people to say, wow, I'm really letting self-care go now, um, that might mean that they did have a couple of things they did and they're not doing them as well. But I think, I think that there's a misunderstanding in the church about self-care. And um, one of the places that it really shows up is in Philippians 2, um, where it says, have this attitude in yourselves, which also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, didn't regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, uh, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance, he humbled himself. We've heard that many times. And I think that what we hear is that as good Christians, we're supposed to empty ourselves for other people for the gospel. We're supposed to be like Jesus and empty ourselves. And the problem is 
Jesus emptied himself of divinity. I don't have divinity to empty myself of. I believe what Paul was saying there is that our attitude should be like Christ. And his attitude was he humbled himself. Well, I can humble myself, but humbling myself doesn't mean ignoring self-care. Um, in fact, I love verse four where it says, don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. And in fact, um, there are some versions that don't say that. They basically say, don't look out for your interests at all. And that, that idea, um, I think, gets us in trouble because we basically feel like, well, as a good Christian, I need to be kind of selfless. Um, and so that's, that's where I would start. I would, I would point people more to Romans 12, 1 and 2 that talks about making our bodies a living sacrifice and say, well, what's the best way to make your body a living sacrifice? It's, it's to live as long as possible. And the way we do that is self-care. So if we can, first of all, even before we get to the pandemic, and I will answer that in just a second, but if we can ask ourselves, could I think of self-care as a spiritual discipline? Could I think of self-care as one of the ways I'm making myself a spiritual sacrifice, living sacrifice for God, instead of thinking of self-care more as like going to the spa, me time, selfish, self-absorbed, I think that would be very helpful for all of us because then, in fact, my self-care is something I'm doing as a good steward of what God has given me. It puts it in a very different light. Now, um, having said that, and um, Jim, I tend to think and talk in paragraphs, so you butt in whenever you want, but I, I will now answer the more specific question about what about the pandemic? Well, here's what I'd say about the pandemic. It's very scary. And as human beings, we don't like change. In fact, I think even in our originally brokenness, part of us wants to believe, I got this. I don't need any change. I'm good the way I am. Well, then if something comes along that contradicts that, we naturally and instinctively want to view it as just, well, this is a bump in the road and it's going to be done soon. And with that mindset about something like a pandemic, which might not be done in six months, which it wasn't, might not be done in a year, which it wasn't we leave ourselves in kind of temporary mode. You know, like when you go on vacation, if you go on a vacation trip and somehow you're not having your quiet time every morning and well, I'm on vacation, so we'll skip church and I'm on vacation, so I'm not gonna watch my diet as much. And we view it as an exception. I believe that because we wanna view the pandemic as something that's gonna be over really fast, we tend to think that we'll pick up with self-care when it's over. And the problem is it hasn't been over. And I think that is a key to why we've been neglecting our self-care. So what do we do? I would encourage us to say, dear father in heaven, I don't know how long this pandemic is going to go, but help me to make this my regular life right now. And in the midst of it, remember that I've got to schedule self-care. I've got to think about ordering my life, even in a time when things aren't in order the way they used to be. Mm. Well, that makes sense. I really like that, that idea that, I mean, that the vacation analogy, I think is a really good one because you're right. I mean, when, when I go on vacation, it's like, well, let's go have the banana split. Well, let's sleep in, let's, let's do this. And, you know, you, you saw this sort of thing happening with people and then they would sort of wake up and go, wow, I think I need to reevaluate what I'm yes. doing, because this is not a two-year vacation. Right. And so I, I, that's fascinating, Jeff. I've never heard it 
you know, from that perspective. I think that makes a ton of sense. Let me ask a second question. So some folks I know have described the pandemic as um, stealing the life and energy from activities that, that they used to enjoy and used to get a lot from, like uh, attending church or having quiet time, uh, time alone with God. Others will say things that they, like, well, you know, I find myself giving up on things more easily and maybe not caring as much if things fail. I mean, what, what's going on behind that? Do you have any, any thoughts on that? Well, I think first, Jim, it would it would be um, really important to just acknowledge um, that we have been in a perpetually sad time. Um, the news has been sad every day. Not only has the news been sad every day about the pandemic, but there have been so many other things around the world. And, you know, when you and I were growing up, we got world news from the newspaper. And that was only so many stories could fit on a page. Today, we turn on our phone or a computer and we get every disaster around the globe on top of a pandemic. And with the pandemic telling us that we cannot have life as normal um, or as what we were, as we have experienced as normal, um, we can start to feel not only sad, but a little bit like apathy can come in, like why should I bother getting dressed if I'm just going to be in my house? Um, mm -hmm. Why not just wear sweats? Why should I bother um, working really hard to uh, do such and such when I'm not going to even be seeing a person today, at least certainly in the beginning? And even now, um, if I'm working at home, it's harder to stay focused on uh, things as well as when I went to an office. I mean, years ago, uh, for many years with my students, I'd say, look, if you want to do a good job of studying, don't study at your house. Go to a place that's your study place. Go to the library. Well, the pandemic has taken away a lot of our places. Mm -hmm. And when you're sitting in one room, time can really kind of slow down. I mean, We've all seen cartoons where the where the where the prisoner is is marking out the days on the cell. Well, that's actually important because if you don't mark them, they just run into each other. And I think mm -hmm. that running into each other without a, a rhythm can make all of these things less joyful, less encouraging. Certainly attending church and shaking hands and sitting next to people is a lot different than looking at them at little squares on a screen. And so I guess what I would say is I think that it's reasonable for us to feel like things are not as fun as they were. They're not. Um, this has been a challenging time and we need to give ourselves permission to grieve that. I like that. You know, it also makes me think that, and I don't know if this is a, if I'm just picking up on it or, or if there's something to it, but we're, like we're just heading into fall where, where I am and the leaves are changing. And it seems like people are, are inordinately interested <laughs> in that, like more than normal. And I'm wondering if that, that's related to what you're saying, because fall, actually, when you see the, the trees turning color, it reminds you that, that time is, ha there. we are marking days, like there is movement. And uh, I hadn't thought about that until you said that, about feeling like the prisoner in the cell checking the, the days, because it's like, it's fall, you know, like we're, it's, it's this new thing. Let's go get apple cider or something, because it's marking time for us, so I think that's a that's a great insight, Jeff. Um, so l let me ask this too. I mean, and you touched on it already, but I mean, the news seems so full of sadness and loss, pretty overwhelming. And 
when you when you just stop for a minute and think about the tragedy of over three quarters of a million deaths in the USA alone, the tremendous burden placed on healthcare workers. One of my former students is a hospital chaplain, and his job every day was to hold up the iPad, you know, as as families said goodbye to each other. I mean, it's when you when you hear these stories and see it, it's just so overwhelming. And you think about the burden on other people. People have lost jobs. I mean, already my question's getting super sad. But uh, I, I'm wondering how how do we deal with these losses? How do we continue to be empathetic to those in our lives who are suffering, but also not let all of the sadness completely overwhelm us? The first thing I think I would do is I'd, I'd give you a definition of empathy. Okay. Empathy is putting yourselves in another person's shoes while keeping your own feet. And this is what I mean. I mean, think about clinicians who are day in, day out talking to people about terrible things. If I were to be listening to a client like this and really just putting myself in their position without keeping my own feet, if you will, well, I might want to be in despair with them. Um, So it's one thing to really have an empathy for other people, but it's also important to realize, but I've got my perspective and that is helping me have a bit more perspective on their life, even as they might have better perspective on my own. It's, it's much easier to have perspective on another person's situation. Um, as far as the balance, I think the other part of it is we are a culture and even as a Christian community who do not like to grieve. Grief is the acknowledgement of loss. I don't want to think that things are going to be taken away from me or loved ones are going to be taken away from me. And so we talk about, you know, getting beyond grief or getting over it or moving on with life. Um, And those things are true, except we do need to grieve. And when there are more things to grieve, we need to give ourselves permission to grieve more often. And if that happens, I think people can confuse that healthy, realistic grief with unreasonable sadness. I guess what I'm saying, Jim, is Mm. it's reasonable to have grief and sadness in our life right now. But to the extent that we can say, God, you're God and I'm not, is the extent to which we can say, help me accept that these losses are happening while there are also blessings, while there are also fall colors, while the sun comes up every day, while the sky can be a crystal blue, while babies are being born, and there are beautiful blessings in the midst of these sadnesses. And so I believe the balance is, first of all, to accept that empathy needs to keep perspective, and two, that grief is healthy, even when you need to do a lot of it. But it's going to be easier to do a lot of it if you don't try to take it all on yourself. And that's mm. where we hand these losses, these anxieties, these stresses over to God, and cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And it's also when we, we lean on each other. Um, bearing, the, bearing one another's burdens is what fulfills the law of Christ. And sharing our griefs can be another way of helping one another survive this time. Mm. That's good. Well, just just to say it again, my guest for this Things Above conversation is Dr. Jeff Bjork, who's a clinical psychologist and professor for many years at Fuller. 
Here's another question. It's based on balance again. A lot of parents have spent, you know, so many months now trying to work from home while trying to supervise children, do their schooling. I mean, they become school teachers as well as parents and sometimes caring for older parents. And so I have friends who are kind of torn on both sides. It's, I guess it's another question of balance again. How do we balance these kind of priorities? I've got to take care of my kids. I got to do my job. And I have to also care maybe for someone else like my parents. Oh, yeah. And you also have to take care of yourself. <laughs> Back to our original point, right? right? In the midst of all this, how do I do self-care when I'm working to help so many other people? Well, I'd come back to the last question. We talked about all the grief in the world and saying, you're God and I'm not. Remember that song we sang as little kids? He's got the whole world in his hands. <laughs> I think there's a big part of us that wants to believe if we try hard enough, we can have the whole world in our hands and we can't. And so what we do is we try harder. When another responsibility comes, we try to, well, I'll just try harder. And so I'll be able to do it. And of course, um, we then start to neglect our own self-care in the process in order to have more time available to help others. But then that's, again, the problem. You need to put gas on a car if you're going to drive somewhere. You need a good night's sleep and you need a balanced diet and exercise if you're going to have the energy to be a school teacher. So, so how do we do all of this at once? The answer is we don't. The answer is a saying that if, if my students over those years at Fuller remembered anything I'd say, it's, it's a very simple statement, but in some ways it's profound, and that is all decisions involve loss. And we live in an insane culture that has crazy statements like win-win. Oh, it's a win-win. Mm. Well, you can't have a win-win without a lose-lose that you're ignoring. You mm. can't have a piece of pie and still have a whole pie, but that's what we try to do. We try to just continually add, and that is a recipe for burnout when we can't help anybody. I mean, race car drivers, one of the most important things that they want to see is their pit crew, even though they know that they're going to be sacrificing time on the race. All decisions involve loss. But if they mm -hmm. don't, they may not finish. And so what I would say is you need to prioritize your self-care essentials. And by essentials, I would say a decent night's sleep. We live in a chronically sleep-deprived culture that substitutes caffeine for sleep and other things, but you really do need your sleep. Um, you do need a good diet. You do need good exercise, and you do need um, uh, social interaction yourself. We are not robots, and you need to get some of that in order to be able to be a good teacher and a good caregiver of the parent. And you also need to recognize that you will not be able to do all the important valid things for any of them. And that's back mm. to the grief. But if I don't accept that I can't do it all, I'm just going to not on top of everything else, I'm going to be angry with myself for failing. Mm. Uh, it's fascinating. We, we, we don't know that all decisions involve loss. Uh, could I give an analogy really quick? Yeah, please. Okay. Um, so I have found this time and time and again. Say that um, uh, I have two children and one has an important piano recital Tuesday at three and the other has an important baseball game Tuesday at three and they're in two different towns. And I find myself feeling guilty for whichever one I don't go to. Isn't that fascinating? Mm -hmm. That I would rather yeah. feel guilty 
then admit the fact that I'm not God and I can't be two places at once. There should Mm. be no guilt in not going to both of those events. There can be sadness. And so I flip the coin and I say to my children, well, what this means is it's heads, which means I'm really sad I'm going to miss the piano recital, but I'm really happy I'm going to see the baseball game. Isn't it great that God will be at both? And next time I'm going to be sad to miss the baseball game and glad to see the piano recital. And isn't it good that God will be at both? And by doing that, now we're teaching our children that they don't have to be perfect either. Hmm. But if anything, this pandemic could hopefully help us with, it's releasing the illusion that we can do it all. And what that means is we can't. And so you start with the most essential things. And sometimes, sometimes there will even be necessary losses. What I mean by that is we can all trim the fat, but once you've done that, you may have to say, well, we're just not going to be able to do something that we've always thought is normal. And we're going to have to prioritize and make those sacrifices. We get in trouble not because of making those sacrifices. We get in trouble because we punish ourselves for not being able to keep everything in times that are demanding far more of us. Mm. That's really good. And and just as you're talking, I'm I'm feeling a, a weight lift, lifting off of me, you know, just to give myself permission. Because, you know, I thought during the pandemic, I'd probably learn two more languages, you know, why not? I mean, right. we're going to have all this time. Uh, it's like, oh, I should have just gotten Rosetta Stone. I should have learned German and Italian by now or something. And I, and you're speaking directly to that part of me that, that, that does want to be God, I guess, and does want to say, well, I'll, I'll look this pandemic in the face and actually I'll come out of it so much better. And uh, I, I just appreciate the the freedom of being able to let that go. So thank you for that answer. Here, here's another question. It's also about balance. And, and I'm feeling this a lot personally. On one sense, I have, I, I have this great hope. I'll see that maybe the numbers are going down and um, I'm, I can get excited and think happy days are here again. But then there's the realism. I have to balance it with, well, we aren't out of the woods. I mean, variants can come. Uh, And so how do you balance that hope and that realism, especially when we're a little bit worn down? How do you how do you cultivate this kind of endurance and patience without moving into like self-denial? Like this isn't this isn't happening. It is. um, But then also still be hopeful. Kind of a long question. But what do you what, what would you say to that? Well, Jim, I think that um, <laughs> I think that the problem is how we define hope. Um, and I believe that a lot of us, for example, might define hope as um, getting back to normal. How do we how do we stay patient until we're back to normal? The problem with that question is, um, and this is something that needs to be grieved, we're probably not going to get back to normal. Whatever life as we knew it before the pandemic has changed. There have been historic events in our lives that have changed the world. We think of something like September 11th. um, And what we think about as normal when we get on a plane today was completely different. And so the idea of, I'm hoping it's going to get back to the way it was, that is a hope that can wear you out. Um, But if instead we think of hope ultimately as hope in a loving God who is going to work all things together for good, including the bad things, 
a loving God who is never nervous and a God who is working his purposes out, then I can say my hope is, my hope is in Christ and my hope is in God's plan for what the world is going to continue to look like. Even though scripture is replete with reminders that there are going to be hard times. I mean, we skim a lot of sections of the Bible. You know, we read the beginning of Job and the end of Job, but there there were lots of chapters in the middle. And we, we skip the children of Israel being slaves for 400 years. That means some people were born as slaves and died as slaves and never saw that change. So how did they have hope? Um, we, we skim that. The point is, if my hope is that God is going to give me what I need for today to live my life, to honor him, to bless others, and to experience the joys of today, then that lets me look at the reality without going into despair because we're not out of the woods. And even if we get out of the woods, we're probably still going to be thinking about things like extra vaccines. We're still going to probably thinking differently even about things like, like the flu or, or how we take care of ourselves. It's not going to be exactly the same. And that's mm-hmm. okay because it's going to be different, but God is going to be the same. And so what mm-hmm. I want to do is say, my hope is in the God who is going to work these things together, not in my expectation and desire for things to go back to when I felt like I was more in control. And my realism is to say, it may be longer, but I've got a God who says he's going to give me what I need, the patience, the endurance, the joy, the wisdom to live each day as it comes. Um, the part, if I just might add, Jim, part of the problem is culturally, the United States has not had to cultivate real patience since World War II. That's the last time we had to basically change our lifestyles for a period. And that was five, six years. But since then, we haven't had any real long bumps in the road to go through. And so give ourselves a little understanding. We're not good at this. We're not used to this. Yeah. But remember that God is the same. And if I can put my hope in God, and knowing that he's going to bring me joys in every day, no matter what is going on, blessings that I will be able to be appreciative of, and stop waiting for things to get back to the way they were. Um, I think that's an illusory hope. I was literally thinking about World War II when you were talking. I was thinking, because Megan and I watched this show called World on Fire. It was a miniseries about the beginning of, of the Second World War. And man, the world was on fire. It was really, I mean, we're we're talking both oceans, right? The Atlantic and the Pacific. It was just, and, you know, hearing my father tell stories, he was in World War II. You're right. We just, we don't, we haven't had that in our lifetime. So I think your word about patience is really good and just factoring that in. So Jeff, obviously in, in the world that you're in, you know a lot about the brain, about neurological stuff. Here's a, a little diff, different question, but one I've thought of. I've noticed that, and I've heard many other people talk about, some folks talk about difficulties with concentrating in this season. And, and I've heard there's even a term, pandemic brain, seems to be a common experience. Another way people describe it is, is that like time now feels like every day's Thursday. Is there something going on on that neurological level with us? Yeah, every day is exactly Thursday, or every day is Tuesday at three. 
Um, Jim, I think there, there are neurological components to this and it's fascinating because I believe, and this is just uh, Dr. Bjork speaking, Jeff's ideas, that God created us to be in relationship with him and, and he is the absolute. We are relativistic. And what I mean by that is we need an absolute to compare ourselves with, to mark space, to mark time. Do you know, for example, that neurologically vision, the rods and cones in your eyes fire when things cross their path and make a difference? So for example, if I were to hold your eyes still and not let them move at all, um, you just go right to a white TV fuzz. You need the changes of things passing past the cells in your eyes or else you don't see anything. We also need changes to recognize uh, progress, to recognize uh, the movement of time. I mean, of course, you can remember when you were a kid and grandma says, my, how you've grown and you didn't feel like you'd grown. Um, well, now we're in a pandemic and we're in houses where everything looks the same and we're uh, in the same outfit for more than one day. And we've taken a lot of the structured changes out of our life. And when you take those changes out, time runs together. And I, I, I know it may seem funny, but I'm going to go back to that guy in the, in the prison cell who was marking off the days to help maintain his sanity. With that in mind, I would say what um, one of my uh, professors years and years ago said, structure is your friend. And what I mean by that is, before the pandemic, our lives were pretty, pretty scheduled. We had to get in the car to get to work by this time, and we had to make sure that we were on this call at this exact moment, et cetera, and so forth. All that went out the window. And so we had much more of a mindset of, well, I can do this at one o'clock or four o'clock. And hey, here's a neat video on YouTube. And how did three hours just pass? <laughs> this is what I would suggest. And it may seem almost pedantically simple, but you need to make yourself a schedule of your week. You need to impose the structure and it will be your friend. So this is what I encourage people to do. Take a piece of paper or an Excel sheet, mark out seven days across the top, and then don't mark 10 hours down the side, mark 24. Because the first thing you need to schedule is sleep. Because that's gonna be very important for your, your circadian rhythms, et cetera, and so forth. Part of pandemic brain is if my phone is on at two o'clock in the morning. Um, and so you schedule sleep and then you schedule meals and then you schedule, do I have a few meetings that I know? And then you say, okay, what is the time that I wanna to allocate to my job and the tasks in that? and you make little blocks for those things. And you actually set up a structure, but the structure for your week also includes blocks for recreation, for relaxing and watching YouTube videos. Or there are also, you'll find, blocks where you can write miscellaneous. These are times when you can do whatever you want. But without a schedule, even before the pandemic, what people would do is, they would be pushing and pushing. And when they came to a free spot in their day, rather than enjoying it, they'd be going, I should be doing something. I should be doing something. Well, in fact, you can even schedule times when you don't have to be doing anything. But the overall big picture is, do you have a structure for your day? And that schedule shows you, in fact, that Thursday only comes once a week. 
<laughs> and that is very important because without the days of a week, um, everything starts to blob together. And that does make concentration much more difficult. We concentrate better when we have focal points to concentrate on. And that's mm. what a schedule can help you with. And I'm not talking about a militaristic schedule. And you can violate your schedule too because you're the boss, but have one. Make yeah. a chart of your week. How do you want to shape your week? Um, everybody in that sense now becomes self-employed and you're your ultimate boss. But in doing that, whether you're not employed and a caregiver of, of elderly parents and kids, whether you are employed or part-time, that's just part of your life. You're, you're the person that's going to structure the schedule for all of it. And I really think that, believe it or not, it helps to put it down on paper. Oh, I think that's brilliant. I mean, it, it makes sense because once I can see the, that structure in a structureless situation, it, it, it's going to help my brain ultimately. I like that. I also, you know, like that, that what you're talking about freedom to, to play, because even though people have had more free time, I've noticed that guilt in like, wow, I mean, should I be watching that whatever Netflix series? Should I be, should I be doing something more? I like how you're saying, no, no, structure that in, structure that time, which is a nice segue for me to, to say this, Jeff, you're a, a, an incredible piano player and you compose music. You, um, I mean, you've been writing incredible music for a long time. It's instrumental piano. Um, I just want to recommend to listeners uh, to check out Jeff's music on Spotify or Pandora or wherever you stream your music. Just it's Jeff Bjork, B-J-O-R-C-K. Uh, any more word on how to find your stuff, but that's what I just type in Jeff York and I get you on, on Spotify for me. Is there any other, other way to. That'll, that'll work just fine. If you want to learn a little more, uh, I do have a website, pure piano, P U R E P I A N O.com. And that's very kind of you, Jim. Thanks so much. Well, your music's been helpful. I mean, it, it, especially in this pandemic, I've, I've enjoyed, there've been some days where I've had, you've been in the background of my days, Jeff, just your music playing. And so uh, well, thank you for that. I'm, I'm, that's very kind of you, Jim. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I mean, yeah, Absolutely. Before, before we had a pandemic, my, my, my little slogan for the music for these 25 years is it's quiet music to calm the heart in a noisy world. So maybe I need to update it. It's, it's quiet music to enliven the boredom in a pandemic morass. <laughs> <laughs> it's either way it works. But that's thank good. you so much. I appreciate that, Jim. You know, let me, let me just, if I could just back up again on that pandemic brain and the schedule thing, because people can, people don't like schedules. Even if you make your own, you don't like it because we don't, we don't want to feel like we're forced to do anything. That I, I do think that gets back at, at a level to, I want to be my own boss. And that gets back to the idea of spiritual formation and self-care as stewardship means, oh, taking care of myself, I'm doing it for the Lord, which means I am going to set up goals and structure so that I can do it better for him. And that doesn't sound so selfish, does it? Um, but mm. But what we find, I mean, when I would do this exercise with professionals at all levels, et cetera, and so forth. And they're saying, I just, I don't have any time to do all the stuff I have. Well, part of it is because they would, they would double book. They would forget about commute time. They would not have a good schedule. And when I'd have them draw their schedule out, um, there would be empty spaces, but I'd say, I don't know what you're complaining about. I could get you three, uh, 30 free hours that you're not even using. And they'd say, what do mm. you mean? And I'd say, well, all you have to do is stop eating and sleeping and you'll get so much more done. 
Now they, <laughs> they'd all, they'd always laugh at that until I followed up with this comment. Isn't that what you're already doing? Mm. You're having a Twinkie for lunch. You're saying, I'll catch up on sleep in the morning. And by the way, a little uh, for people with sleep problems, a little psychology tidbit here. Um, you do not catch up on sleep by sleeping in. You rob yourself of sleep from the next night. It's counterintuitive, but it's true. Hmm. So no matter when you went to bed, if you want to get on a regular sleep habit, get up in the morning anyway. And yeah, you'll be more tired that night, but then hopefully you'll go to bed on time. <laughs> right. That's good. That's good. I want to ask this from the perspective of, uh, in in this case, as a college professor, I've I've noticed some of the effects of the pandemic on on my students, and I know there there are parents who are worried that their kids are going to suffer long term effects from missing that normal structure and routine from being in school. Um, of course, many schools are back in some form, but um, are, are there harms or challenges that that students might experience? Our young people. Uh, in the future because of the pandemic? Well, we obviously can't predict the future accurately. Uh, the best predictor of the future is past behavior and past patterns. And so I would say that um, whenever you stop doing anything, it takes you time to get back in the groove. So if you're a great tennis player and you stop for two years, you can't expect to get out on the court and play just as well. So yes, there can be uh, losses in that respect. On the other hand, our culture is so goal oriented and quote unquote success oriented. And we push so hard and we act as though we're behind. So for example, if you get held back a year in school, now you're behind. Um, I had a year off between college and uh, graduate school long before they'd invented a good reason to call it a gap year. And so I was behind. Um, this is where I wanna give a definition of the phrase on time. On time is when God does things. He is never late. He is never early. And if there are delays from your perspective humanly in your life, God is not nervous about them. Now, let me give you another example, because of course, we're worried about college kids, but we're really worried about, you know, eight-year-olds and 10-year-olds who are trying to look at Zoom all day. And there certainly are stresses about that. Not only that, I've already talked to some teachers who've had the kids come back and said, oh dear, I've now got a room full of little feral people who have forgotten how to sit still and things of that nature, right? Um, and uh, we, we sympathize with that. But but here's, here's the thing. Um, let me give you a, a quick story uh, about, I'll make up a client based on many clients I've had. Years ago, this this uh, we'll say this mother was intent on having her child have every opportunity possible, and the child uh, was doing very badly in school, and they thought the child might have ADHD. And let's say I assessed the child and figured out that the child is very anxious. Why not ADHD? But because the child was in over the child's head, and so in the room with the mom, I needed to help say um, in this in this hypothetical. Um, but it's based on multiple cases. That's true. Um, you know, the best thing for your child might to be to get out of the gifted program and maybe even to be held back a year. And as I saw the shock in the mother's face, I said, and do you know what it would mean if he repeated the third grade? And it, she looked like she was about to hear the worst news of her life. I said, that means when he's elected president of the United States, he'll be 47 instead of 46. 
Now, I'm not trying to eliminate the fact that there are losses in this time and that there are adjustments that will be made. But what I am trying to eliminate is the illusion that every person has a clicking schedule in their life. And if they miss six months of school, their life is over or they'll never catch up. Uh, of course they'll catch up. In fact, I'll tell you, Jim, I think a lot of uh, young people today would do a very uh, healthy thing by not going to college for a year when they graduate, getting a job, realizing, wow, this is what minimum wage or whatever feels like. I think I really need an education. Then when they go to school the next year, having been a year behind, they will concentrate better, be more goal focused and get more out of their education and wind up doing better. So I'm not entirely sure that these students who have had to do things on Zoom for a while may not do better in the long run, because if we can get off Zoom, they will now value their classroom experiences. Mm. Um, and so to me, I can't predict the future about the damages that are done. What I can say is I'm reasonably sure there will be downsides and definite upsides to this period of our life. Go back to World War II. Mm -hmm. People had lots of things that they couldn't do the same. And yet somehow yeah. we survived and did well. So yeah. I would not worry about that as much as people are worrying about it. Okay. That's, that's, I, that's a great, great reason for it too. I mean, you're not just those, everything you said makes a great deal of sense. So in terms of mental health, another thing that I've noticed during the pandemic is, boy, we had more time on our hands. And as you alluded to earlier, we also had more access, thanks to our screens, to things happening in our culture. And it seems to me like the stress of our polarized culture has also contributed to our struggles with mental health and well-being. There's obviously the debate over masks and vaccines, but it's broader than that. For example, on the one hand, social media can give us a way to be connected, but there's also a lot of shouting, like a lot of unfriending, a lot of... Uh, it just seems so polarized in this day and age. How do we, how do we get beyond the divisiveness that this climate seems to have created? Well, uh, the short answer is it's going to be really hard, and it may not be possible to do it entirely for our culture. But that doesn't mean that you can't do it for you, Jim, and I can't do it for me, and our friends can't do it for our friends. Let's go back in time for a minute to address this question. Do you remember when email was invented? And do you remember how, as email started to thrive in the early and mid-90s, everybody knew that you should never try to have an emotionally heated or personal conversation via email because there could be so many misunderstandings and, you know, capital letters could be enthusiasm or they could be yelling or, uh, and, and the fact is that email would escalate. Do you remember that good advice oh, yeah. to not have those com conversations on email? I, I actually did. I remember that with one of my supervisors because she and I had a, a difficult exchange email wise and we both sat down and went, maybe we should not, we should maybe be face to face. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. It contributed to misunderstandings. Right. And so we did a good job of trying not to do that until social media. And now we don't do some of our debating on email. We do all of our arguing with memes and yelling and unfriending very quickly. I'll go back in time again one more time. Do you remember when the place that Christians were most likely to lose their sanctification was in their car on the freeway? 
<laughs> where that's where you would possibly use language you shouldn't use and you'd slam your horn and you'd be angry. Why was that? I believe it was because in your car, you had a semblance of anonymity. You had a semblance mm. of protection. And social media has upped that exponentially. And so now what we're having in our culture is a culture of people who are abandoning logical thinking for emotionally reacting. So that if I'm going to try to have a civil discussion in a social media place, it's going to be very difficult to do because people will look at something and and immediately delete or or say something nasty that you've got to take off your site. It's become very difficult. Social media has been a blessing, but it's been a curse, a real curse to human connectedness. And so how do we get beyond that divisiveness of social media that, of course, then also floods out into our uh, uh, the fact that our political environment has become so polarized? Everything is polarized. The way I believe we can best address this is one person at a time, is by trying to focus on the relationships that are closest to us and the people that we interact with the most and trying to make those interactions as face-to-face -face as possible. We also will do a great deal of good to reducing the amount of shouting and unfriending on Facebook. Uh, how do I put this gently? If we stop doing it. <laughs> mm. uh, you know, it's kind of like if you want to say, how do you, how do you cultivate more forgiveness in the world? Be a person who's ready to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I can't control the other person's reaction, but I can control my action and I can ask God to help me control my reaction. Um, and I believe that trying to move heated conversations away from our social media pages and into more personal conversations is a really important way of doing that. Um, it's just because because the, we knew the truth back when it was email and somehow we've forgotten it and it's far worse now. We need to get back to trying to have our important emotionally laden conversations as individually as possible and as face-to-face -face as possible. And if that's a Zoom call or a phone call, that's still better than email and much better than a Facebook page. Mm, that's so good. That's really helpful. Yeah, I... Boy, that that reminds me. Just just this past year, uh, one of my best friends listens to this show regularly. You know, he and I have we, we don't we're not on the same page exactly on some issues, but, but it, this has been a wonderful time for both of us to really listen to each other, and it's been fascinating. And in fact, we got done with a conversation, and he said, "Wow, this was the most civil discourse I've had in a long time." You know, we were both really trying to, to listen. And I think, I think that's what you're getting at, right? Like, exactly. like he's a close friend. He, yes. He's, yeah. And I think that that's really helpful. Start with people that are in your circle, your neighbor, which by definition means nibor, someone who's near you, the people who are close to your family and which can be hard, but I think that, uh, I think your advice is spot on. So Jeff, let's, let's shift to a more positive side do you think there have been any gifts from the pandemic in terms of self-care? Are there things that we want to continue even if and when the pandemic subsides? Good news. 
<laughs> yes. Yes. Let's, yes. Let's, let's, let's end think, on some good note here. I think there are gifts, but I'll start with the caveat. Remember how we want to get back to normal? Right. If we literally worked at getting back to normal, that would include throwing out all these gifts. Right. And so we need to be mindful that we don't want to get fully back to normal. Now, there are different cultural milieus around the country, but I will tell you where I live in Southern California, where there are a lot of people. My wife and I would take walks in the neighborhood sometimes. And well, let's just say the first neighborhood we lived in for 11 years, the only neighbors we knew were the neighbors that we had gone to the trouble of knocking on the door and introducing ourselves. People don't talk to each other out in the street. They don't talk to right. each other at the supermarket. They don't talk to each other if they're walking by each other. And with the pandemic, everybody was out taking walks and there were more people and they were so relieved to see somebody that wasn't their dog or their mom <laughs> that they started saying hello. Right. And That's people true. started chatting with each other and meeting new people as they walked on the street. And I would suggest that if we could cultivate a positive approach to trying to be friendly. Now, I realize that there are places in the country that already do that quite well. But even in those places, there are situations where we kind of keep to ourselves and right. I believe that the reaching out and saying, how are you? And not just having it be an expression, but actually meaning the question, um, finding out that you have neighbors that you have things in common with, or that might be able to use help with something. Um, you know, you, your, your friend and colleague, Matt Johnson and Catherine, the whole idea of neighboring, as you said, mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, is, is, is a very great potential gift that we have right now. Um, and and so my wife and I, we walk in a local park and when we meet people, um, we're animal lovers. So we go home quick. We write down their first names and their dog's name. <laughs> and then the next time we go to the park, we say hello by name. And it's amazing how people become more friendly. Hmm. So that's a gift. Yeah. Here's another gift. Remember when I said, well, I can stay up late because I can sleep in. Okay. The gift of that is we have had more flexibility with our sleep while we're still in this time if you could develop a really healthy sleep pattern and the younger you do that the better because the older you get the more sleep problems you will have just biologically it's true so if you can develop that healthy sleep pattern now before you go back to whatever might be the more of a rat race that we used to go in and realize that sleep is important. Jim, I know I've said sleep a lot, but let me just let me just uh, tie it to a scripture that can help. I would tell my students, uh, if you'd like to know the key to spiritual formation, it's getting a really good night's sleep. And by good, I mean eight to nine hours of sleep a night. Some people need less. Some people need more. Um, and they'd get the fact that, okay, we're sleep deprived and we should get more sleep. But how is that spiritual formation? I'd say, oh, that's easy. Just go to Galatians 5.22. Read the fruits of the spirit and try to identify a single one of them that is not seriously hindered by fatigue. Mm, yeah. And so we can develop better sleep habits. We can develop better exercise habits. Remembering this about exercise. A lot of people are put off by exercise as self-care because they think it means having a gym membership and buying a special outfit and making sure you sweat a lot. I have great news. 
None of that is necessary for exercise. If you want to be a good steward of yourself physically, start by walking 20 minutes three times a week. You will be amazed at the difference. Hmm. Um, and if you do it right after dinner, um, you'll find that you don't need that extra cup of coffee because you've gotten the blood out of your stomach back up into your brain. And then when you go to bed, you'll go to sleep because you didn't have that extra cup of coffee. Oh, by the way, if you're married and you take that walk in the neighborhood right after dinner, it helps your marriage because first of all, you get time together. Second of all, you get to know each other better. Thirdly, you can't fight out in the street. <laughs> you can't have an <laughs> argument. <laughs> so it's a safe place to have that conversation. And if you're a family, it's a great time to take the family out for a 20-minute walk. Just walk 10 minutes and 10 minutes back um, and then build up to 30 minutes. But the point is, exercise doesn't mean you have to be a triathlete. But physical exercise is really essential for physical health. And physical health is what helps us keep spiritually healthy as well. Right. And emotionally healthy. So th those are a few things I think the pandemic has given us. And I think another thing that hopefully the pandemic has given us is an increased capacity for patients. No matter how much we kick and scream at this, we've all needed to have more patients than we did before. Mm. And so when we go back to a time, if we get to a place where it's more the way it used to be, hopefully we'll have more patience. And that patience is long suffering, one of the fruits of the spirit. And that enables us to love our neighbors better. It enables us to trust God more. And it enables us to be kinder with ourselves when we don't get it right the first time. Mm. Those are all fantastic. They are, they are really good. And I, I, I relate to all of those. That's I've, I've wondered before, what, what can we take forward that will be a, a benefit? That last one, I really didn't think so much about because you're right. I mean, we have, we've had to be more patient. It's just the nature of it, right? Waiting for items in the store that, have, that aren't there, waiting for um, things to happen that are, are just, they're just not happening the way they used to. And uh, that's, that's incredible, right? That, that, that's the opportunity to grow. The beauty of the, the beauty of, remember how I said we're, we're relativistically wired. We need contrast in order to see, we need differences. And of course, the fact that I need differences points that I need an absolute. So our need for differences points us to our need for God. But uh, there was a story I read as a little kid. You may have read it too. It was called Too Much Noise. And this guy comes to the wise man and he says, I can't get to sleep at night. The, 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 the trees brush on the window and the rain bangs on the roof and a couple of other noises. And the wise man says, get a chicken. So he gets a chicken and then he comes back and he says, I had all those noises plus the chicken. He says, get a goat. And he comes back again. It's worse. He says, get a cow, get a donkey. And he, the guy's going, I'm crazy. How can I do this? He says, get rid of all the animals. And he comes back and he says, you're the wisest man ever. Sleep is beautiful. All I have is the gentle brushing of the branch on the window and the beautiful sound of the rain lulling me to sleep. Um, the point is the contrast, the, the patience that we have had to put up with has increased our capacity. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Makes standing in that DMV line a little bit uh, easier when you, oh. when you've been through some things. <laughs> yeah, that's good, Jeff. Uh, gosh, I, I've enjoyed. We've been friends for gosh almost twenty five years now, and I've always appreciated uh, your wisdom and insight and all the years the the work you've done at Fuller 
uh, in studying and working with with your students. And um, I just thank you for the gift. Thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, I think this is still really timely because I know I feel both worn out and hopeful. And I, I think that listeners will pick up a whole bunch today from things that you've said. And uh, so thank you. Well, thank you, Jim. I've, I, I, um, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to, and, and just, you know, let's, let's make sure we have a disclaimer at the end of this show. Um, I'm stressed too. And I've had some days that really feel like the second Thursday, just like everybody else. Sometimes somebody will come on and you're asking them for authoritative positions and you're going, wow, I wish I could be like them. Well, none of us is like God. That's the point we aim for. And we all struggle. And like I said before, you know, Jesus fulfilled the law, but he left us with one. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And mm. part of part of the advice that I give to you, um, I need to think of for myself and and I need to be patient because I fail when trying to do it. Um, and so that's when I love it that we have a God who doesn't have a cool down period. If I blow it royally in a way that I think God is upset with me and I go to God and say, Lord, Father, I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. We never have to worry about God saying, well, I forgive you, but no hugs for a couple of hours. I need to cool down. Our Heavenly Father says, um, come in for the hug right now and mm. get up and try again. I'm delighted that you're willing to accept my grace, to give you the power to start again over and over. You know, back to those changes that we look forward to, one of the most silly is New Year's Day, right? Well, <laughs> because what's the real difference? There isn't one. I love an old song by Carolyn Ahrens, and she said it really well. Every day is New Year's Day with our, mm -hmm. with our Father in Heaven. Excellent. Thank you, brother. Jeff, we'll have you back on again. Thanks for being on the show today, and uh, we'll look forward to doing it in the future. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed this Things Above conversation with Dr. Jeff Bjork. I know I did. Wow, that was some really, really good counsel for this time that we're living through in the pandemic. I hope you join me next time for episode 125. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith, and you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can. You can do so on our website, apprenticeinstitute.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, Things Above.